0: Hello everyone and good day to our listeners from all around the world. This is the EVC podcast. Welcome especially to those of you who are interested in the issue of international security in its various dimensions and forms, which is the paramount topic of all episodes of this podcast. The EVC podcast is produced by our organization the European Value Center for Security Policy or shortened the EVC, which is based here in Prague and that focuses on current security policy issues in Europe and in the world in general. My name is David Plasek and I'm an analyst of the EVC who focuses on the region of China and East Asia in general and I will be moderating this episode. This episode will be concerning one increasingly important topic and that's the economic security. That is increasingly important issue for national security of countries anywhere today. And is it, it is an issue that was rather neglected in the past. The specific main goal of our today's discussion is then to share lessons from the new economic security initiatives of the country of Japan to the European audience, to the European countries, or in other words, to compare and share policy development plans in economic security between Europe and Japan. For these reasons, today we'll be joined by a leading expert in the field, Professor Kazuto Suzuki, who is the ideal person to shed light on the topic. So what is it that makes the economic security so important today? Today, we live in times of geopolitical tensions and economic events such as disruptions in the supply chains, industrial espionage, tariff wars, and so on. And even more importantly, countries such as China and the Russian Federation are engaging in using economic tools to achieve their own geopolitical objectives on the expense of other states. Thus the economic security cannot be separated from the broader notion of the national security. Democratic governments all over the world today are are increasingly seeking for efficient measures, enabling them to, to simply protect themselves better, to protect themselves against malign actions such as economic coercion, predatory practices, and theft of technologies, right? We have these new ways of attacks, new threats today, so we have to try to create new ways of protection. So therefore, here in Europe, European countries are currently discussing specific aspects of economic security policies. Uh, such as investment screening mechanisms, right? such as regulation of dual use of technologies export and uh, ways how to protect sensitive research from foreign theft, from foreign espionage, and also how to protect our universities and research centers from against foreign interference. But there are countries in the world that have already much bigger and longer experience with facing these threats than we have here in Europe. And one of them is definitely the country of Japan. The country of Japan is a great source of information in this field because it has a unique experience and position concerning this issue, especially given its geographical proximity to China and the way its economy is intertwined with the Chinese. Therefore, it had to deal with much more pressure historically than we had here, in Europe. Therefore, Japanese experience represents an invaluable source of know-how for European countries facing similar challenges. Therefore, we think, and, and experts think, it is very important to utilize these lessons from Japan. In this time, when we are building or trying to build our own protective mechanism against these threats. Uh, And moreover, the Japanese again reformed their protective system quite recently, again, uh, both in terms of institutions and the legal framework that they use. So, for all these reasons, uh, today we invited a leading Japanese expert on economic security to give his insights and reflections on the topic uh, again, Professor Kazuto Suzuki, a teacher, professor of science and technology policy at the University of Tokyo, who is focusing, focusing on this topic f- already for many years. Uh, Mr. S- Mr. Suzuki also actually defined modern economic security and proposed methods of achieving it. So I welcome him here. Uh, good evening to Japan, Professor Suzuki. Thank you for being here. During our conversation and discussion today, we would like to specifically shed light on what are the fresh experiences from the Japanese Japanese new government, new governance and enacted legislation. Uh, we would like to talk about how does the newly established Japanese uh, governmental agencies deal with these issues and how successful they are. Uh, but before we do that, let me please start Mr. Suzuki with more general question on the economic security uh, the economic security can also be viewed as a defensive expression of the economic statecraft so-called geoeconomics uh, but the question is but the question that we always have to ask when we talk about this issue is is it actually possible to mitigate all the risk of economic malign influence that I mentioned before while at the same time, also preserving the basic openness and market orientation of the economy at the same time here in Europe or anywhere else, can we actually protect ourselves while not cause damage to our own economy while doing so? In your opinion?
1: Oh, um, okay. Um, I I think it is impossible to mitigate all the risks. So we have to uh, we have to select and focus on the risks which are more significant. And the most significant risk is the the amount of dependency. For example, today in Europe, people are now talking about cutting off the uh, get natural gas from Russia. But you can't do that because you t- depend heavily on the Russian gas. And that's why you know there is a a a huge discussion about how to implement the economic sanctions against Russia. It is the same thing that happens for the economic security. When you want to protect yourself, you need to focus on the uh, items which are pretty much pretty much dependent on the one single country, and you can't. Really mitigate the risk by uh, diffusing the risks, which means that you are uh, you have multiple suppliers to uh, to select. If you have multiple suppliers, then the risk is much lower. If you are depending heavily on the one country like Russia or China, then that is the highest risks, and they can use this vulnerability. If you if you depend if you depend too much on these autocratic countries, um, then they would be able to use that as a leverage to pressure your country. So the basic concept of the economic security is to diversify the resources or uh increase the amount of the stockpiles so that you you, you can uh, you can be more resilient if the, uh, China or Russia is exercising its economic statecraft. And in doing so, you can narrow it down to the certain number of items that are heavily dependent on the uh, Russia and China or any autocratic countries. So if you, uh, and the rest of the items, uh, for example you know the diapers or toys or you know these are not seriously um affecting to your uh, to, to your economy and to your security so these items can be traded freely and basic concept of the you know free and open uh trade will be remained in those areas so what economic security addresses is to identify which are the items which are strategically important and these strategic dependence needs to be uh, <coughs> needs to be di- diversified and then you will reduce the risks that the autocratic countries using their these items as an uh, leverage for exercising the economic statecraft. So in that sense, you can coexist with the concept of the free trade. But for the particular security reasons, those items, which are heavily on, depending on the aut- autocratic uh, countries, these are excluded from the um, basic free trade uh, principles. And then you, you know, the state has to take certain control to exercise the power to make those uh, companies not to depend heavily on the uh, single sources like uh, from China or Russia. Okay,
0: so if I would now adjust uh, my question according to your response and Mm -hmm. uh, use this big question that is often being asked, to what extent it is even safe right. or beneficial, or what, to what extent is it beneficial for free democratic countries to even keep trading with autocratic regimes such as China uh, that engage in mm-hmm. this offensive economic mm-hmm. statecraft? So you would say that it actually is beneficial, but just in the areas that are not uh, sensitive or not crucial mm-hmm. to the, na- the national security. Uh, would you agree? Uh, yes, that's
1: uh, that's a basic idea. Um, the trading with autocratic country is not a a crime. I I mean, basically all the countries, whatever their, you know, um, their, uh, political status or political system, the economic rationality requires the free trade, uh, with anyone. And if you have more beneficial, trade relationship with the autocratic countries or, you know, the dictatorship. But to some extent, you can do trade. Of course, this trade will benefit for those autocratic countries or dictatorship. But after all, you know, if we don't declare a war or, you know, uh, like current situation in Russia, if the Russia is, Russia is currently, you know, using a, military forces to to attack on on ukraine and therefore we do you know implement the economic sanctions so that's a different story Uh, i mean if we are uh if russia is engaged into in a war and we don't want to finance the war then you know uh, i think the trade has to be limited and there should be some economic pressure but if there is no such uh, uh rationale to impose certain sanctions on you know economic sanctions uh, on those countries, then it is allowed to have the um the free trade after all, China is a member of the wTO and you know there is a rules that allows the free trade with China and the rest of the, you know, rest of the world. So the basic idea is that, you know, the free trade is the mechanism to engage those countries which are, which are different from our, politi- you know, political values or political system. But after all, this free trade may, you know, may change the nature of this, uh, uh, you know, autocratic system, there is an expectation that, you know, if there is more people who are, who who have the, uh, you know, who became richer, then they would demand more freedom. Um, unfortunately, this is not the case in China yet, but there is some expectation still that the, Increase of the national wealth and the increase of the middle class may change the political uh, political climate in 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 China. Um, well, that was the basic expectation in 2001 when China joined the WTO, and we haven't seen that yet. The Chinese autocratic system still exists, and the uh, Chinese Communist Party is still dicta- dictatorial regime. So, um, yes, the trade with China may um support in a way to maintain this dict- dictatorial state, uh, uh, political system. But if, unless China is exercising some sort of an inhumane activities, such as in the Xinjiang province or in Hong Kong, um, then we would be partially, uh, sanction those regions or those, um, uh act, actions, so the um, United States and Europe is now exercising some sort of a, a, economic sanctions against the, China for the issue of the Xinjiang province because of the violation of the human rights. So we can deal with those uh, issues by partially implementing the sanctions, but not the entire sanctions like w- what we do against Russia. And um, so there, there should be the balance between the free trade and the messages that we send to the Chinese um, uh, Chinese authorities that these are the things that we don't accept. So um, implementation of the sanctions against the you know actions in Xinjiang provinces is, is one. A particular example of the how to, you know, uh, maintain the balance between the free trade and the difference of the, uh, you know, political differences or difference of the understanding of the human rights, or in general the difference of, but difference of the values.
0: Okay, so therefore one of the underlying biggest underlying issues in the debates about these policies is basically uh, the fact that we will sacrifice the cost of the economic inefficiency in the short run right mm-hmm. but the true cost of not doing so would show up in the long run mm-hmm. uh, and that's always of course any debate or regulation of, of, of the trade of always produces a backlash mm-hmm. among the business class let's say or the, the entrepreneurs Within the countries that are discussing these possibilities, so f- that that being said, I would like to shift to the particular experience of Japan, which uh, which, as I said before, has to deal with all these issues on a daily basis, uh, given its proximity to China, and um, recently introduced new, new set of institutions and new set of laws to to combat it. I will just say very briefly for our listeners that after 2013 basically Japan had to react on, embargo- on Chinese embargoes and had to thus adjust to the situation and uh, created new institutions such as the National Security Council, National Security Secretariat which later introduced its own subdivision that is dealing with the economic security issues. And in 2020, there was introduced even a new Ministry of Economic Security of Japan. Would you please uh, assess for us these changes and their impact both in expectation and what the real-world data showed us so far?
1: Um, well, first of all, it's a little uh, tricky because, well, first of all, uh, it is. We don't have the Ministry of Economic Security. We d- we do have a minister for the Economic Security. That is the coordinating body or the minister who co- coordinates the interest of the different uh, ministries. So we don't have the um, uh, uh, institution like a ministry. Uh, as such. But uh, yes, we do have a National Security Council and a National Security Secretariat. And these are created because of the increasing tension uh, with China. And there are changes of the security environment in, in the Northeast Asia, uh, particularly with uh, 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 development of the missile and the nuclear capability in North Korea. So the NSS, NSC are the, uh, are the, again, another body which coordinates the existing, uh, policies of the Ministry of Foreign Affairs, Ministry of Defense, and, uh, and also coordinates with the intelligence agencies. The economic division of the National Security Secretariat, which is handling the, um, uh, economic security issues and the minister for economic security is associating with the uh, economic division of the national security secretariat so again we don't have the ministry but the national security secretariat nss is working for the economic security and the, um currently we are uh, the the parliament diet Uh, the parliament is now discussing the uh, establishing a new law on the uh, economic security and this economic security, uh, new law on the uh, national security, economic security will be uh, focusing on the resilience of supply, the protection of the critical infrastructure and promoting the, the Emerging technologies, which can be also um, uh, being as the s- sort of a dual-use technology, and the uh, protection of the trading uh, technological secrets of the uh, through patents. So uh, concealing the patents information is is uh, the fourth pillar. So these four pillars are in the uh this new law on the economic security. And the economic security, therefore, is to focus on the protection of the secure, uh, su- security of supply and try to maintain the resilience of the uh, economic trade while we are opening up our our economy. And also we are uh protecting the um the critical infrastructure by not using the items from the unreliable, uh, vendors, um, mostly Chinese vendors, but, um, also from Russians and, and, um, a- and promotion of the, the emerging technology is to encourage the academia and, and the companies to invest more on the technology, which can have both civilian and the military use and, and the protection of the, uh, of the technical aspects of through patents is the concealing the patents information is to pre- prevent the information to be stolen by the other uh, countries, particularly China, uh, through the open sources. So these are the basic four pillars and these items these pillars are pretty much narrowed down to the things that I've already explained that is the highest risks so we are not trying to exclude china or entirely we are not trying to exclude the uh, you know uh uh china as a source of trade we are you know japan is a is a you know small island country without any uh, natural resources and we have very limited farmland so we depend heavily on the free trade so free trade principle remains as the main basic of the trading uh, uh, trading system but we are now narrowing down the items which are very strategically important and then uh, trying to protect these uh, limited uh, limited area and limited uh, number of items to be secured and resilient from the economic statecraft from other countries.
0: When we are discussing this topic here in Europe, one of the biggest backlashes or biggest issues, while thinking about or contemplating creation of similar institutions that you already have in Japan, mm-hmm. the biggest uh, opposition against that would be f- uh, would be the argument that such such a um, establishment can de facto limit or can demand uh, can destroy our, part of our possibilities when it comes to trade and, and, and economic growth. Was this debate uh, not present in Japan, or was the uh, were these arguments better actually uh, be- better positioned in Japan that this big debate and backlash did not take place there? Because we in the Czech Republic, for example, are also an export export economy, so we always have to think about this possible criticism. What what is the Japanese experience with, with this debate?
1: Yeah, of course the um, the businesses doesn't want to have the uh, stronger regulations. They 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 want more freedom, and they are acting based on the economic rationalities. They want to you know produce everything in much better places and they import much cheaper goods. So, yes, the idea of the free trade already exists and um and the the businesses are uh are uh, fairly concerned a- about the uh new idea of economic security. However, because the uh emerging uh well because of the our experience in the past in the 2010 when the china had we had a um, certain political issue with china china uh, which is that we we had a we had a, um, a territorial dispute with uh, with china on the senkaku islands and um, and chinese fishing vessels uh, has collided with the Japanese Coast Guard vessel and, uh, Japanese Coast Guard has arrested the, the captain of the, uh, fishing, fishing boat of China and the Chinese government banned the, to export the rare earth mineral to Japan because, you know, Japan depends heavily on, on China on the rare earth mineral. So um China used it used it as the economic leverage to achieve its political objective which is to re- release the captain of the sh- of the boat and the Japanese government had to accept that because there was a a a, a strong a uh, strong pressure from businesses so business had this sort of an experience and they don't want to do it again, so they understand that um, you know the concept of economic security is important because we don't want to be, you know, uh, the business doesn't want to be, you know, fooled around by the Chinese political pressure, and they don't want they 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 see the investment, the production, you know, supply chain in China is a risk, so they understand that. This is risky if people are depending heavily on China. So, but the companies act based on the economics, economic rationale. So even though they know there is a risk, but there is always a tendency that they choose China as the trading partner because it's the cheapest and it's the most efficient. So, uh, in that case, I think the the, the businesses are also, you know, uh, business understood this you know, this pressure. The business understood this contradiction that they have to depend on China, even though they know that there is a risk. So it is, I, I think the, the the companies are are able to accept the concept of economic security because they know the risks. And if the government say so, then they would accept. But they don't want the government to expand the concept of economic security to everything. The business want to have the limited application of the economic security to the very narrow, narrowly defined the area of, of strategic importance. So that's why... The balance in this bill and the Japanese uh, uh, economic security strategy is to focus on the critical items which are very important and which are very high risk uh, so that we will be able to reduce the risk. But everything else. Is remain in the free trade so the companies can trade with, with China. So that's the sort of a compromise that we do have.
0: All right. It, it will be very interesting to actually observe if that current situation with Russia will have the same impact on the European point of view, just like uh, the Ch- Chinese embargo in 2013 had on the Japanese uh, point of view. So it will be very interesting to see if also, this crisis that we are now living through with Russia and the war in Ukraine, and the the use, the Russian use of its assets such as oil and gas to basically uh, to, to to threat Europe. So, that will be very interesting to see if there will be a similar development. Mm-hmm. I would ask uh, the, the one last important question and it is even though these institutions uh, we talk about and the new minister are still quite new, uh, would you say uh, could you assess for us approximately what is the assessment of them so far? Are they being perceived positively as, and as a successful project? Uh, were there some already some uh, let's say scandals or events? that uh, these institutions were already being publicized for? Um, well, I, I don't really
1: say that um, it's too early to assess, um, because, uh, you know, uh, the, this is a kind of security issue that, it, you know, security issue it became, uh, you know, you, you can evaluate the security policy if there is something happened but security policy is like a goalkeeper in the in the football you know if there is nothing happens is it because of this this policy or is it because of this institution or is it because nobody is shooting so it's very hard to to assess because of nothing happens and uh you can say yes it nothing happened because we do have this institutions or nothing happens because the international climate is okay or what? I mean, it's that, that's the hardest part. And in terms of the economic sanctions on Russia, that's the different story because that's separately implemented from these economic security. Economic security and economic sanctions are two different things in Japan. So economic security uh, economic sanctions are basically much more higher political affairs so it is the cabinet office or the it is the prime minister's office which are designing the um the implement implementation of the uh, secure, uh, economic sanctions and that is also Uh, with the help from the Ministry of Economy, Trade and Industry, METI. And, um, so, so basically, you know, we don't really have the political and economic uh, and legal tools to implement the economic sanctions individually. So basically what we do in terms of the Russian sanctions, uh, we are in in discussion with the G7 countries and uh, you know United States and Europeans to define and shape the you know what's the what sort of uh, um, sanctions that we implement. So that is a different thing, and uh, that's different from the national security uh, Secretariat, uh, which are working partially for the uh in support of the prime minister but um uh, basically the 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 major institutions which are involved in the economic security economic sanctions is the meti the ministry of economy trade and industry so uh again uh in terms of the economic security this is more defensive and this is uh less aggressive and i mean not like a sanctions and the economic security is basically um it's a is a goalkeeper so um i i i don't really i can't really do the assessment for you know uh, for what happens to the um economic security in, through these institutions
0: all right Therefore, it is uh, not possible to say right now, according to your opinion, if the ministry, if the new minister, again, the new Minister of Economic Security was a successful uh, step to take, is, is it still too soon to, to, to see that from your perspective? Uh,
1: yes, I, I, I would say so. and uh, one of the big achievements of the new um, Minister for Sec- uh, Economic Security, is to propose the new bill. So ever since the Mr. Kobayashi, who is appointed as the Minister for Economy, uh, Economic Security, he he has focused on the drafting of the bill, and uh, he was able to carry carry it out to the Parliament. So that's the first step, and so far, uh, so good. I think the question of the implementation of this strategy is coming later. And it will be, I, I think the government will now, uh, under the Minister for Economic Security, there will be a new budget uh, applied and they'll be uh, uh, starting to diversify the supply chain. For example, one of the uh, successful cases is to invite the Factory of the TSMC, which is the uh, semiconductor company in Taiwan, to build the factory in uh, in Kumamoto in Japan uh, for you know diversification of the supply chains. So that's already happening, but that's the first step, and uh, we we are expecting to see more once the bill is passed, but. It is still uh, not past the upper house of diet and it will take some time.
0: It's interesting. So we will uh, at least we can see that the importance of the ministry was to, to push through the legisla- the law itself. So it will be interesting to, to also watch this in the future. And uh, with that being said, I think it's a good moment to actually to end our podcast episode here mm-hmm. uh, today. Thank you very much, Professor Suzuki, for providing us with your knowledge and expertise. Uh, it was very insightful. And um, also because of the fact that we can expect that there will be increasing interest in this topic and knowledge in the future. So let's hope this podcast becomes a part of an important uh, discourse. So thank you very much, Professor Suzuki, and have a nice day. Thank you. And I wish also to all of you who are listening a good rest of the day. You can follow us on Twitter, Facebook, or EuropeanValues.com. And until the next episode of our EVC podcast, goodbye.